Lorraine Hansberry, Lynn Nottage, Christine Houston. All playwrights from different eras with one essential message. Our voice matters. Our voice can make a difference. And in the case of playwright Christine Houston, her award-winning play 227 provided the rebirth of community theater in Chicago at the ETA Creative Arts Foundation. We'll hear from veteran actress Felicia McNeil from that play in a recent interview about Christine Houston's groundbreaking work, 227. I'm Val The Voice Johnson, and this is Interludes. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production. This episode is brought to you by the Riddles Clean Comedy Virtual Show. Find out more on our website, linktr.ee forward slash purelightmedia. And now, all the way live from the south side of Chicago, give it up for your host, Val The Voice Johnson. Is it gone, son? Walter Lee. Is it gone? Mom, I'm sorry. Mom, your sister's money for school. No. You used that money too? Mama, I never went to the bank at all. Chicago native and journalist, became the first African-American woman to have her play, A Raisin in the Sun, produced on Broadway. During the time Hansberry wrote the play, the civil rights movement was in full swing and at the forefront of many activists and artists who wanted to make a difference. It's no surprise that her play was based on her beginnings in the segregated South Side of Chicago. I know Lorraine picked up her strength and tenacity in speaking up from her father, Carl Augustus Hansberry, a real estate broker and political activist who took his fight all the way to the Supreme Court in 1940 in the landmark Hansberry versus Lee case, which argued against restrictive covenants. Lorraine's A Raisin in the Sun deals directly with the plight 
of an African-American family moving into a predominantly restrictive neighborhood in Chicago. And in 1959, she won the New York Drama Critics Circle for Best Play. Using art as a way to make African-American voices heard was Hansberry's strongest vehicle. And now we're back in time. An old movie, The Elements. And one by one, I invite my dance heroes onto the stage. We meet Fred Astaire. Hey, kid, you're an angry dancer. I like that. Bob Fosse. You have to sell everything, from the tipping of your hat to the flourish of your fingers. And the Nicholas Brothers. It's all about the rhythm, baby. Recently, at the 2022 Tony Awards, American playwright and screenwriter Lynn Nottage was nominated for Best Book of a Musical for the stage play MJ the Musical, based on Michael Jackson's life. A Brooklyn native who quit her job to pursue writing full-time created a body of work that often focuses on the experiences of African-American working-class people. Similar to Hansberry, Nottage is the two-time Pulitzer Prize winner for her works Ruined in 2009 and in 2017 for her play Sweat. In 2019, Nottage is listed in Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People. I have to agree with that assessment. I became familiar with Nottage's work on the Netflix 2017 series, She's Gotta Have It, as she developed a feminist voice to the main character, Nola. And right now, her 2017 Tony-nominated play, Sweat, hits the Chicago circuit via the Goodman Theater this fall. Nottage has used her work as a way to keep African-American voices heard in today's cultural landscape. Every one of them. Every one of them. And she decided she wanted to showcase herself as an actress. Okay. And so she decided that she would pick some of Chicago's finest actors who had not been exposed. Exposed. Like they the, should the masses like they should. Uh-huh. And you're one of those, Felicia. Yes. What are some what's some of the things that you've done in the past? I've been in theater for about almost 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've done a mostly dramatic work. Mm-hmm. But I I do enjoy comedy. Mm-hmm. And I heard um, you were so funny. Matter of fact, Christine can't stand to look at you. She <laughs> said time she looks at you and think about what you have been doing. I, I love I love doing Christine's work. Uh-huh. I really do. Playwright and screenwriter Christine Houston holds within her a rich history of African American experiences felt on the stage as well as the small screen. Recently. I found out that the NBC sitcom 227, which starred veteran actress Marla Gibbs, was based on Houston's stage play 227. In the 1970s, she attended Kennedy King College and started writing the play based on her native Southside background here in Chicago. Houston submitted her play into a Norman Lear playwriting contest at Kennedy King and won first place. At the time, Norman Lear was showrunning a sitcom called The Jeffersons, and Houston and Marla Gibbs befriended one another as she wrote one of the episodes for The Jeffersons. After The Jeffersons ended its 11-season run and Gibbs looked for another project to present to television networks, she presented Houston's play 227. The network brought the television rights to Houston's play, 
and the rest, as they say, is history. Recently, I got a chance to attend the opening of Houston's play 227 at the ETA Creative Arts Theater, and I really enjoyed the show. One of the actresses who portrays the characters in 227, veteran actress of stage and screen, Felicia McNeil, spoke with me about her role as Carrie Cross and her advice to up-and-coming actors in theater and television. Interludes, please welcome Felicia McNeil. I'm very excited to introduce you guys to uh, one of the actresses from the the play, uh, 227. Now, it says it a little bit differently, but I found out that it's loosely based and it was the basis for, you remember that show back on NBC called 227? That's right. And she plays Carrie Cross, and I get I, I, I loved her character on the stage play. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, she is a veteran actress. Give it up for Felicia McNeil. Here she is. Hey, Felicia. <laughs> Hi there. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know, I know. And, and, and I was reading your bio, and you've been acting for over three decades? Oh, uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Doesn't <laughs> seem that long, and then sometimes it does. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know what? I'd love to find out exactly from you. What were the three things that helped you succeed in acting, especially here in Chicago? Well, um, you know, success is relative, <laughs> but uh, I get your point. I think when well, you say three things, yeah, well, one commitment okay, and commitment and dedication and endurance and just uh, a deep faith in yourself or belief in yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with this project, uh, 227, how did you find out about it and how was it auditioning for the role that you play, uh, Carrie? Well, um, I really didn't audition for this role because I have known Christine for probably now 27 years, um, maybe 28. The reason why I know that, that number is because when I first met her, I was pregnant with my daughter and oh. she's now 27. And I found out that I was pregnant with my daughter when I was, well, when I auditioned for Christine for a particular project that she was doing, I didn't know that I was pregnant. And then by the time the project was up on its feet, I was seven months pregnant. <laughs> and I was telling Christine that I didn't think I would be able to do it because I was seven months pregnant. And of course the character was not pregnant um, that I would be playing. And she assured me that, oh yeah, you can do it. And she could, I could do it. And they'll just disguise my stomach mm -hmm. with a costume by, you know, costuming me up. And I just did not see that vision. <laughs> and, but I trusted her enough that I went ahead and did it. And when I looked at the, she videotaped it or had it videotaped. Mm -hmm. And when I, the videotape, you could not tell that I was seven months pregnant. And I wasn't one of these tiny women. 
you know, I was, you know, I was smaller than I am now, but mm -hmm. I wasn't, uh, I did not carry a tiny pregnancy, you know, okay. I mean, my stuff was out there and I, I just trusted her and she knew what she was doing. And literally you could not tell when I looked at the tape that I was pregnant. It was amazing to me. Wow. Oh my gosh. And I'm trying to remember when exactly was the play 227 first performed here in Chicago? I think it was in 77, if I'm, if I can remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And it was, she, it won some awards mm -hmm. and it, uh, the network or someone, yeah, I think the network bought it, bought the rights to the, uh, I don't think they bought the rights to the play, but they brought the rights to make it into a sitcom. And then yeah. Christine kept the rights to the play. And then the wow. next time I think it was done, I believe, I'm not sure, it's what, it was done at ETA seven years ago. Mm -hmm. And I had the opportunity to play Carrie at that point. And I was so pleased with my performance that she told me, and, and, and you know, sometimes you, you know people exaggerate. But she, mm. but she told me at that time that she could never do this play without me ever again in the role of Carrie. And I just, you know, I was like, Miss Christy, I know, you know, thank you very much for the compliment. But when she did it this time, she asked me to, you know, resurrect the role again because she really liked the chemistry between Cherie and I. And yeah. she said she would not be able to do it or she won't do it without Cherie and myself playing those two leading ladies. Yeah. So I was thrilled. And um, I've gotten some really positive feedback um, from other people to say that, you know, Cherie and I play well against each other. So like, again, again Miss Christine knows her business. <laughs> and and I'm and we're talking about the writer of the play um, of two twenty seven. Right. I want to make sure that I get that right, Christine. Right. And right, exactly. And I met her because she was there at the performance that I saw a couple of weeks back, and everyone was just excitingly talking about her. And then when I found out that she was the same age, what would have been my mom? My mom would have turned eighty six. Uh, this month, I was thinking, oh my. So that's, that's phenomenal to me. Her story is incredible. If you ever mm -hmm. have, please interview her because her yeah. story is really incredible. Yeah. And I definitely wanted to make sure that I, I get a chance to talk with her because I know this play will probably come back and because you guys are wrapping up this weekend. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. Sunday we have tonight and, um, we have tonight, Saturday, and then Saturday afternoon and Sunday afternoon. And oh. last performance. Yeah. And uh, what in acting, I wanted to find out, did you have a favorite role that you've portrayed in your, in your time of acting? Oh, wow. I have a lot of favorites. I've, <laughs> I've, I can't really, do, in all honesty, this is one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. um, I, I like it, it's interesting because there was a time when I was always cast in, in dramatic roles. Okay. And I love drama. I, you know, 
I do love drama. But there was a time where I did not do comedy because I wasn't cast in anything that was comedic. And wow. when I think it was a couple of years ago, um, Sharif uh, produced some of Miss Christine, Christine Houston's uh, skits, that she's got lots of them. And she pulled together some of her skits and we did them at, uh, I think at Victory Gardens. And I had such a wonderful, I love comedy. I love slapstick. I love just things that make you just double over with laughter. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoy, as my grandmother would say, clowning, you know. <laughs> and, I, I, and I had such a wonderful time doing those because Miss Christine is a good comedy writer. Yeah. The, yeah. Kind of like the more exaggerated it is, the funnier it is. And she writes that, it that way. And that may not be some people's favorite genre, but I enjoy that kind of uh, comedy. Yeah. Uh, Carrie, your character in this play is kind of reminding me of. Uh, the character adjacent from 227 in the in the TV show. And I can't think of her name right now, but she was on Sesame Street. The one thing that about the gossip, <laughs> kind of that that topic of, of gossiping and is a there's a big reveal that happens with your character toward the end. But what would you say is some of your favorite uh, movements or just kind of the interactions with other actors when you know portraying Carrie on stage like you're, you're you're acting opposite of the Mary character often but just how how was your experience with with our uh relationship mm -hmm. as yeah two characters um I I really enjoy playing often Sheree is a is a very good actress mm -hmm. and <laughs> it's nice to have that type of rapport and energy between the two of us. It's like we can play well off each other. And uh, she's very quick. She picks up things very quickly and she can play off of me. And I hopefully I can play off of her and discover things about the character through us playing off of each other. Yeah, and <laughs> Cherie was very funny. We. And one one thing that I liked about a lot of the actors that's in this play after afterwards, we as the audience was able to interact with you. And I remember talking with you afterwards and you were letting us know about eating, <laughs> pacing your eating. And I was thinking, oh, wow. <laughs> Why don't you share about that? Well, I don't eat before the show. <laughs> I cannot. Yesterday, I made the mistake of having lunch, which was just a bowl of soup Oof. and so a piece of little tiny piece of cornbread. And it was probably about mm, maybe four hours before the show because we go up at seven. Okay. So I did this about maybe one, one o'clock. Right. And I, so I, I should have been okay. It was soup. I mean, it was, even though it was a pretty hearty soup, but mm -hmm. 
I, by having to eat during the show, at the end of the show, I was really almost miserable. Oh, I was, I was so full. All I wanted to do was just go home and drink some water <laughs> and go to bed. Unfortunately, you shouldn't do that after eating, but that's just how it is because I eat so much during the show. Right. Yeah. And that's, and, and, uh, and just, I enjoy doing that. I mean, I enjoy food as my, you know, myself, right. but finding those moments where it works comedically is fun. It's fun to discover those moments when it works, eating works in the timing of the, of the lines and the dialogue. Right. Yeah. And I know you are, you mentioned your daughter and I believe in your bio, you said you also have your grandson and acting in schools, like we're coming into our, the school year. And unfortunately, some school programs have taken away arts or taken away performing arts. Could you speak to that about the importance of, of the arts? In the last decade that the arts have been really defunded everywhere. It means mm. Everyone is scrambling for funds. The, the, um, the school, not only in the schools, but professional theaters are being, you know, they're having to compete for funds. And I know for myself, when I discovered the arts or just theater and acting, it made such a huge difference in my life. It opened up my mind. It opened up my curiosity for um, doing research and history and all of that kind of stuff. And so by taking that out of the schools, it's really not, it, it isn't, it's lessening what the cit the citizens of this country and the city and the what they can contribute in society because mm -hmm. i know what it did for me in opening up my my personality and my mind and my curiosity and my just kind of like my zest for life so it it's not doing it's not doing the city and the states and the country, it's not doing us a favor by taking that away from, from children or people, period. Mm -hmm. um, our theaters have gone under in, in the city of Chicago. And so people don't have that, that link um, in the community anymore that they can go see a, uh, a show and enjoy it, you know, live theater and having that that interaction between the audience and the actors they don't have that anymore they don't have the stories they don't um you know because there are playwrights out here that are writing some beautiful stories yeah and those stories when they're on paper but they're not getting to an audience and people need to hear about themselves they need to see themselves on stage they need to hear some of these stories that maybe they haven't heard before so yeah and i think 
when people have that desire and if they learn about acting or performing arts in school or at the local YMCA or wherever that those art programs are, if someone says, you know what, I want to do this as a career, what's some of the best advice you could give someone starting out in acting? Well, I would tell them to study, take some acting classes, um, and just, it, it's, it's always, it's, it's a lifelong uh, study. It really is. It, it continues on. And I remember my acting teacher told me that one time. And she said, you, as, you know, the life of an actor is forever, as long as you're breathing. A dancer has a, a lifespan because, you know, eventually their legs go. Oh, yeah. Uh, a singer may have a lifespan because, you know, they, their voice may, it gets older and they right. might change something in, you know, in their, in their craft. But an actor can continue on. And the most beautiful thing about it is that we continue to learn this craft forever. Right. I know. So yeah, and, definitely take acting classes and just observe life. Because as an actor, my own personal experiences help me in developing certain characters. Because if I haven't had that experience as a person, mm -hmm. then how can I portray that on stage or something similar to that on stage? Right. Right. And I have a question from the audience. Uh, what was the first play you saw that made you want to become an actress? Oh, that made me want to become an actress. I don't know if I honestly say that. But I remember the first play that I saw was as the was, as the wine cellars by. Okay. And we'll say, you know, that was like in the 70s. And believe it or not, I don't know if you remember Miss Abena Joan Brown that was the founder of ETA, but I found out years later that she was in that production down at Airy Crown Theater. It was called As the Wine Cellars By. And I remember that was the first play that I ever saw. And I was in high school. My parents weren't into the arts like that so i never went to a play and i i think it was a school trip or something and i went and i was just totally you know like blown away by yeah. because i saw us on the stage yes and it left a, a lifelong memory for me now i don't know i didn't see myself as that i could do that you mm -hmm. know when i saw the play i didn't think that i could do that um, but the first time that I considered being an actress is when I actually was in a play and that's when I was in college and okay. I loved it so much that I was like, I've got to do this. I didn't know if I could do it for a living or anything like that. I just wanted to do it and, and just, just do it. Um, yeah. I didn't know if it could be a career or I could make money. I just wanted to do it. So I changed my major from education, which I was almost finished in that particular oh. 
uh, field. I had, was doing my student practicum and mm. I, I wasn't really ever really that happy with my decision to become a teacher. It was really kind of like uh, pleasing my parents or pleasing my mother because she wanted, you know, we come from, you know, educators. Uh. And so I was like, well, this is a, a respectable career. And I was, but it wasn't something that I felt pa not even nearly passionate about. It was just right. I was obligated to do. And uh, when I discovered theater, I I knew I had to, and I found out that I could actually major in that and get my college degree. I that's I, I against the wishes of my mother, I decided to change my major. She was very upset at the time. Yeah. She vowed not to support me at all, but I still did it. And then eventually I won her support. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a similar trajectory for when I made the decision to move to New York. And my mom was like, you don't want to go there. The people are mean and they're dirty. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Just kind of have to uh, go ahead and push through some of the actresses right. that I think about um, Viola Davis, who has I definitely have has been on a, a Broadway stage, said that it inspired her to see Cicely Tyson early on. And that's who inspired her when she was acting. And another question from the audience, what are some of who are some of the actresses that have inspired you and drew you into the art, arts? Definitely when I decided to change my major and do this as a career, it was definitely at that time in the 70s, definitely Cicely Tyson. She yeah. was, she was, she was it for me. And I, people would often tell me that I favored her and I didn't think I did, but it, it was a compliment to me, but because she was she was the actress of that time and for decades to come so yeah she was probably one the 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 one that I can most remember um after that hmm, I don't know what other actress had that kind of imprint on my on my life in the arts I'd have to really really think about that to be able to honestly answer it but definitely Cicely Tyson yeah because it's amazing how many actresses have that one person that they saw themselves in that person and felt mm -hmm. like they were represented well and so it's people say it and it sounds cliche representation does matter to view the entire interview with Felicia McNeil, please visit our Interludes YouTube channel. Have you seen it? It's the weekly chat with EP Michael Womble, Coach Tony, and Val the Voice Johnson. Interludes Extra presents Talk on Tuesdays. Join us and other special guests as we break down the latest topics surrounding music, movies, and sports every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, live in the chat on our Interludes YouTube channel. Interludes.
Original concept by Valerie Johnson. Written by Michael Womble. Produced by Michael Womble and Valerie Johnson. Original intro and outro music produced by Kendall Nesbitt. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production. This episode is brought to you by the Riddles Clean Comedy Virtual Show, featuring hosts Jury O'Neill, Donald Owens Jr., Michael Womble, and Val the Voice Johnson. To purchase an on-demand ticket, please visit our website, linktr.ee forward slash purelightmedia. To subscribe to our YouTube channel or join our Interludes Facebook group, visit the website, linktr.ee forward slash purelightmedia.com.